Hey everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week we're joined by Matt Pusty, who is the man behind the amazing music under the name Makeup and Vanity Said. I was first introduced to Matt's work through our friend Anthony Scott Burns, and from then I've been listening to Matt's work on repeat during the long nights of work that I find myself frequently encountering. In this episode, Matt articulates the films that he loves, and we discuss everything from The Karate Kid to Sicario. Matt expresses his love of film and how he pulls inspiration from the work he admires and injects it in his own. We also discuss Matt's recent life transition to working as a freelancer from home and how he manages to navigate his new way of life with family and the never-ending list of detailed daily responsibilities. This episode is brought to you by Learn Squared. Learn Squared is an online art education platform that is founded and powered by industry-leading artists from around the world. The thing that makes Learn Squared unique is our community and the ability to connect directly with those that you admire and learning applicable and usable knowledge by those that are leading the way in their particular professional field. If you're interested in sharpening a particular part of your creative abilities or just simply curious to see how others work and problem solve, head over to LearnSquared.com and begin your journey. Here we go, everybody. Episode 148 with Matt Pusty. Let's roll. Okay, well, so I'll go back and talk about a little bit of an origin, I guess, of how I came to find who you are and your music was through Anthony, Anthony Scott Burns, who's um, yeah. a dear friend of mine, a close collaborator. I love the guy. Um, yeah, he showed me your work, and um, I found that out through working on Manifold with him. You did the score for it, and the score is just beautiful. It was a really beautiful piece, and ever since then, uh, I've been following your music um, very closely and I listen to it a lot when I create. So thank you first and foremost, <laughs> appreciate that. It's really awesome because your music's really great. I think you have this really great, uh, from my perception as a, just a, simply a fan, a consumer of the things that you do. Uh, I feel like you're, you, you managed to take, um, take me to a certain place, you know, uh, Anthony's music does it as well. When I create, there's this rhythm that happens and I think it's like the way that the synths kind of come on and all that kind of the buildup of the tones and all these things kind of overlaying and lapping and stuff. And I think that's a, <laughs> it's a really cool, it's a really special thing basically, you know, like I think only music can really do that for me um, personally. Sure. So yeah. So thank you for taking me on all those voyages, you, whether you knew it or not, <laughs> you were helping make art with me late nights. So yeah. No, nah, thank you. That's awesome. It's the beauty of the art thing. You know, it's, it's the beauty of, being connected and using the internet and kind of, um, <laughs> utilizing all these different resources. So well, I think, yeah. I think also you're like touching on something that as a person creating music is really important to me, which is, you know, I think <laughs> that, uh, oftentimes there's a lot of influence that I find from visual art, you know, like I think that I'm not one of those people that hears a lot of things and is like, mm. Oh, you know, that's going to, you know, lead me to create something. I'm sure that those things exist, but I'm way more in tune to, you know, whether I see a film or, um, you know, some piece of art, um, those things I find are always more critical to me in the development of like, okay, so now I'm trying to make a record and I want to try to capture whatever it is that tone is. I'm a big visual tone person. Like I, I feel like a lot of times I find myself watching film and, just getting lost in the kind of atmosphere, you know, mm. um, I'm the kind of person that I'll listen to, uh, lyrical music and I won't remember 
any of the words, but I'll remember all the melodies of hmm. the lyrics. And I find I find that um, in visually narrative things, I oftentimes I may not catch all of the story, but I oftentimes see uh, just little bits and pieces of atmosphere and that resonates with me big time. And hmm. so when I'm, so when you're talking about the way the synths kind of come in and out, I have a similar kind of, uh, there's like a similar, uh, thing that I take in when I see things visually, that's, um, not entirely dissimilar. It's like a synesthesia kind of thing or what? Sort of. I mean, I don't think it's as like severe. Or yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's as broad as that, but it's, um, it's definitely something that's always stuck with me. You know, mm. um, I always joke with people about, you know, a lot of times when I have to name a song, which is something I'm not, uh, uh, not a fan of doing because <laughs> yeah. it, it, I think it's not necessarily like a fear of pretentiousness or something like that. It's just a fear of like the finality of it, I guess, like just it's done, you know, it's like hard to ever say anything is done anyways, but it's, um, there's a, uh, I used to always just think of scenes and films and one that I used to always go back to is one from my childhood. I used to go back to karate kid. Oh yeah. Which part? Um, there, <laughs> it's a great a film scene. too. I love that film. <laughs> there's it's a great, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. And, and there's a scene where, uh, Daniel is being chased. It's after the, the Halloween dance. Oh, that's he, a really tense the, scene. Yeah. Yeah. He puts the hose on Johnny and he runs and there's like this kind of horrible, uh, movie car crash. And then he runs across <laughs> this field. And one of the cool things that, um, that they do with the soundtrack with the Bill Conti score is they fade out of the kind of uptempo rock song that's going on at the dance into this sort of very tense musical cue yeah. that Conti has. And I love that because it's like, you go from this moment of like, yeah, you know, he's really sticking it to the bad guys to like, he is about to get killed. Like they're just going to beat the crap out of him. Yeah. And I always, I always loved as a kid, even like watching that, it always yeah. resonated with me. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, you, you go from this kind of triumphant chase moment into something that's really fearful. And even as a kid, I, you know, that, that resonated, I picked up on that. So I'd always think about that scene and be like, all right, so how does that mm. scene pertain to the, to the feeling of that scene pertain to this song? And then how does that lend itself to a title? And so a lot of my songs have these sort of tense, uh, you know, potential fear, <laughs> fear based titles, like, sure. you know, like never let go or something like that, where it's like, you know, this idea of like, you know, keep your head up. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That scene in karate kid to talk about, it, it's like perfectly manipulative, you know, it's like doing exactly what that film should do at that exact perfect time, you know, and it really kind of captures the imagination and the, the angst of a teenager in America at that time too. It was like kind of perfectly placed for me because I was, I grew up with a single mom and having yeah. like, you know, moving a lot and hating moving and having to deal with like the jackass at school that thought he was really cool by picking on me. It's sure. like karate kid was like my anthem, you know, <laughs> I, it's probably, I don't know. A lot was, of kids probably feel that too. You know, I feel like I'm, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like a, I don't, there's, there's sort of films that have become sort of touchstones to, you know, the quote unquote synth, you know, whatever you want to call it, music that's happening now. And so I think in one way it's like a little tropish to be like, oh yeah, Karate Kid. But I think Karate Kid is actually like a pretty good film. Like it's, it's a great it, film. It's really yeah, well. And it's really good. It's like, it's got so many levels to it really. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, so story. I think yeah. you can definitely look at it and, and sort of <laughs> just acknowledge it for it's, it's just kind of, you know, the culture of the time sure. or the, 
the culture of that period kind of film. But um, I don't know, like that's one that always really resonated with me. And, and, you know, I think because of scenes like that, where it it can sort of not take itself too seriously, but at the same time, like really convey a weight and a fear. And, you know, I think that's just part of the way that they created the characters. You know, they made them very uh, likable and you really get sucked into their their plights. Yeah. And that's the purpose of film, you know, like I think it's a medium of manipulation really. And if it's done well, it really pulls in your heartstrings, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, um, Anthony and I will talk about films and certain films resonate really well with us, I think, because we have similar upbringings, but then there's certain films that are completely different, you know, our spectrum of like what we like from them, say like American Beauty, we have completely different opinions on that film or Big Lebowski or like sure. Prisoners. And I think it's just a matter of like how willing you are to take that ride emotionally and how much you're willing to just kind of allow yourself to fall into it. Um, I find it's hard, you know, making films and, um, writing and doing all that stuff to really <laughs> put that, that critical, you know, analytical side be aside from myself and really enjoy the experience. Do you have a hard time when you're listening to, um, are you watching a film and then like a really like cheesy, like if you like CSI is on the TV or something, it's like dun, 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 you know, like, <laughs> that stuff drives me up the walls, but like, does it bother you at all? Just or? the, just the like ham handed, just super hammy. Yeah. Like the music, the music in it, is that what you're talking just about? Just the or? cues. Does it, does that yeah. stuff kind of bother you or do you just kind of like brush it off and not care? I, re- I, I remember, um, working on manifold, uh, one of the early cuts, I, had a sound i can't remember what exactly what it was but it was like there was just a like a just a sudden kind of jump cut to the barn mm, yeah and i put this sort of sound with the cut and immediately anthony was like <laughs> he's like no this is terrible <laughs> <laughs> i love anthony because he's so brutally honest too yeah you was, but i mean i think specifically I think specifically he was like, no, that's, that's too like law and order ish. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think, I think when you're watching a film sound, I mean, sound is really precious because, um, I, I don't know. I find as I get older, especially, especially in theater going experiences, if it's done wrong, it really just zaps you out of the experience. Like in anything that happens in a film where it, it kind of, it kind of like uh, it causes friction against the like experience of being in it where you suddenly realize, oh, yeah, I'm in a theater, you know, like it that for me, that just turns me off because it 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 just pulls me out of the experience. Yeah, I mean, I, it's and for me, it's usually sound that'll do that. Like if it's just a crazy sound, one thing that I absolutely really have grown to hate is like kind of the trailer Oh god! Big movie trailer kind of sound tropes. Yeah, like if I hear if I'm watching like a big Michael Bay film or something, and there's like a a bass drop with like a hand grenade or something, like it's just that (laughs) just kills me because it it does. It It pulls you away. Yeah. What's unnatural? It doesn't make any sense. And and I think we've sort of become accustomed to that sort of trailery sound design, and (laughs) it's sort of made its way. Well, it's like you have to kind of. I think the other thing that a lot of people don't understand is like when you're cutting a trailer or something like that, usually it's people that are not inherently involved in the film itself. No, it's true. So, yeah, they're a completely so, different like category and they're all trying yeah. to manipulate people to get as many people in the seats. That's what they're there yeah, and, for. And yeah. f- and for that to like dictate 
films sound and how sound it's is scary. mixed enough or yeah it's, it is <laughs> it makes me <laughs> not so want to make movies with big studios honestly and it really is a massive turnoff because it's like how would i like i couldn't feel comfortable about releasing that and saying that's me you know or that's the thing i'm proud of and i spent the last three years making <laughs> like i couldn't release that you know it's imagine like you know you were about to release an album and then you let somebody just like do some like jazz keyboard <laughs> yeah. i don't know j- jazz flute on it or something to, and that's like well, look that's, it, I mean, it's the new makeup and vanity set yeah. album <laughs> you're like what the hell is this you know you just offend well, everybody that's, so that's that's like partly kind of the protection that i enjoy as a musician it's like you can I do have a a certain amount of control to where I can do that. And it's like, I look at, I have friends that make film, you know, and I'm like, I don't understand how you can do that and not, you know, want to jump off the roof every every turn. They do. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, (laughs) I mean, it never really, I don't know. It never really struck me until the last probably four or five years, like working on things. It's like just how much of a, like catching lightning in a bottle experience that is, you know, it's, it's, it's madness. Super rare. Um, that's why when I watch a film that I think is really great, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. The other day I was watching um, The Abyss, for example, and I've watched the behind the scenes of that. And that's that's James Cameron like pushing hard, man. And that was like, that film has some incredible stuff. Like just like on, you, I just don't know how they did it. Well, I do know it's Jim and he's just, he's a, he's a beast. He's a power animal, you know, but sure. there's some amazing things going on in that film. And then, you know, you mentioned Karate Kid, um, but there's still, there's a lot of contemporary films that are out that are really great too. Um, but it's just amazing. You know, when you see that it's really a miracle, it really is that well, I, I think of, also at the end of the day, it all worked. The actor was there. It wasn't sick that they remembered their lines and they were there and they were pushing that emotion and the other one was doing it too. And the whole set was working and then the light electricity was working and the camera was going, the director was ready. Like so many pieces that I think that the viewer doesn't have to have a care about. It doesn't need to care about it, but it's there and it's purposefully driven, you know? Um, sure. There's some ham, hammy uh, sound design in that film too. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and some Terminator stuff, pretty funny. So, yeah, there's some silly bits, but yeah, lighting well, in the bottle. I think you also get like, you also get people that uh, become more established and have teams and kind of work with the same people again and again. And it, and it's interesting to see because I'm, you know, I love film and and seeing what was going on kind of in the '60s and the '70s with a lot of people sort of either moving from moving straight out of school or moving from television and just making really cutting edge stuff, but also like just really quickly just turning this stuff out and then seeing that kind of at odds with a lot of the studio system and how those films were these big gaudy productions and, and then watching sort of the late, like through the seventies into the early eighties, you have all these guys that are making really cutting edge science fiction and how, and how, and and just watching it shift from you know maybe not moving quickly but having like a core team of effects people and and writers and you know just watching them just make magic i mean it's 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 it just blows my mind that a lot of that stuff was was coming out in the same years you know like yeah it, back and back i think it was actually that was why it was happening you had this gold rush basically this kind of 
you know, Steven's at his best. George is crushing it. You know, you have James coming up. You have these monsters. You have Coppola, you know, you have all these guys just raging, basically. You know, there's um, the American Zootrope. You know, you look at and study that stuff. It's it's badass because you had these guys who were on their own really great, but together they were just like this pack, you know, this, this yeah. uh, Zotrop stuff really just cooks my brain when I think about it. Yeah. It's I'm amazing, like, man. It's it is. Amazing, it is. Yeah. And, and, and Coppola himself is just kind of this weird anomaly of, he is, yeah, because he's got things like the conversation, which is, I mean, probably one of my favorite films of all time. And like, and I've never and seen then, that film. It, <laughs> yeah. And so like, so, the, so see, seeing something like the conversation up against like, you know, the Godfather, like, mm-hmm. and just knowing how much money and how many people and how many moving parts the Godfather had, you know, and yeah. then the Godfather too. And it's like, just an apocalypse now. Know, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's just, it's, it's just madness when you think about it. Yeah, it really is. Um, there's a really great documentary. I probably talk about it all the time on the podcast. People are like, shut up already about it, but it's really great. If you haven't seen it and if you're listening to this and you love film and you want to understand what it takes to be a film director, just watch uh, Heart of Darkness. It's a documentary that Coppola's wife made of the transformation of her husband as he was going through the process of making Apocalypse Now. They basically went bankrupt. He lost his mind. Like Charlie Sheen almost killed himself. I mean, it was just absolute insanity to make that film. Yeah. But he got through it, and, and it was a huge failure, too, at the beginning. People were like, this movie sucks, or it took so <laughs> long. And, you know, I think if there's anything that to learn from these kind of examples is, like, I would I would revere these guys, you know, George, um, <coughs> Coppola, all these guys. It's just, they're amazing. They're amazing uh, at what they do because they followed through with what their their goal was, you know, and they, they made films, and they made films that are memorable, and, and it's much more than most things can be even said about today's quality, you know? So, and yeah. it's, 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 it's amazing, you know? And I think that, um, if you want to know about the process of that, I don't know, you should check that out. Have you seen that documentary? I have. Oh, I like, so good. I love that one. I love, uh, similarly, uh, the documentary with the, that was on the Blade Runner dangerous days. Mm, yeah, dangerous it's days a little, great, yeah. it's a little bit more sanitized. As it is very sanitized. They yeah. They don't quite go into the, all of the stuff that I've read about how, what a just insane nightmare that was to make. Um, and, uh, and then similarly the, uh, kind of similar context, the Refn documentary that his wife great. Yeah. My life directed. I I thought I was not a huge fan of only God forgives, but, um, I haven't watched it completely through. Yeah. It's yeah. But I, I, I thought the documentary or some, I don't know. The documentary is great because it, I could completely buy into the madness that yeah. he was going through making it. And also the madness that his wife was kind of, you know, for good reason, just picking up a camera and documenting, like it was just completely insane. And yeah, um, just, just to see him wrestle with his, not only his creative decisions, but also the weight of coming off of something like drive and yeah, and it's almost like drive wasn't look. really a film that he made almost. That's yeah. how he was kind of like disarming it basically. Like I don't make these like kind of like, contemporary pop film romantic violent films you know which drive was great i really liked drive a lot yeah, had some too. really great moments and amazing mood and crazy good cinematography and editing um really smart very smart stuff um, so I, film. I lived in la for a while and drive is i think one of my favorite the los angeles tone yeah films Night, um, nightcrawler it, is is up there too i think nightcrawler is one that's an amazing I, film i love nightcrawler i loved um 
Collateral was one. <clears throat> I that's thought Collateral great, yeah. really, really yeah. captured it really well. And um, yeah, it's a weird, it's an odd tone in LA. So it's like you have to. It's a big city. I think it's easy to go overboard if you're making a film, I think, and just making it too shiny and weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, it's weird. He, was, it's weird he had sure, some interesting but, bits to it too. He did some interesting things. Sure. Showed a different side to it. And I, I just watched uh, recently Nocturnal Animals, which takes place in LA. And Tom Ford, have you seen Nocturnal yet? I, ha- I haven't seen it yet. <clears throat> I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite films of last year. Or yeah, I think it was last year that it came out. But um, yeah, it was it was really awesome. But he, Tom, shows LA in a really interesting light too. Kind of how um, I'm a little bit like how that one director. I think it was uh, Denny who did Enemy. Have you seen Enemy? Yeah. What yeah. do you think of Enemy? Enemy's crazy. <laughs> it's so good. I love yeah. that film. And the score yeah. is just freaking amazing, man. That score. Yeah. Those guys, those two guys are insane. They're super good with that. There's yeah. a there's a track that they didn't use in the film, and it's one of my favorite tracks. I've listened to it. It's on my iTunes. It says that I've listened to it 250 times. So <laughs> I'm hooked yeah, on a, it. I was a huge I was I've been engaged in some pretty um gnarly debate here recently about Sicario and uh, arrival and just how, I don't know. I'm really, I, I have some, some anxiety about Blade Runner. Oh <laughs> yeah. Just like, yeah. I, well, I'm just, I'm sort of like, that seems like the gig that everybody wants, but nobody really wants, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's a, it's an a enormous people, pressure. Yeah. A lot of people would want to try to, you know, let the lion out of the cage on that. But I, I don't know. I'd be afraid of being torn to shreds. So yeah, of tough. course. And then, oh. and then reading that he's taking on Dune, it's just, I don't yeah. know. seems like a, seems like he's on a trajectory for sure, but it's like, yeah. is it one you really, really want to be? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think, um, it's quite interesting because you look at his film, um, for Denny, uh, Villanueva, I think is how you say his yeah. last name. Um, but if you look, he, he originally was doing like kind of interesting documentary kind of films, then mm-hmm. um, he went off and did Prisoners, I believe, and then he did Enemy, which is really cool because he went he could have went further with Prisoners, mm-hmm. I think, but then he went kind of back and did like a little bit more artsy, abstract film, which Enemy I thought was really great, very mm-hmm. interesting, very visual, very you know you have to watch it a couple of times to suck, take it all in, you know, and then and after that he went off to make um, Arrival, right? I think it was Arrival, no Sicario, the, then Arrival, Sicario, yeah, yeah. see, to me Sicario. I, I loved it. Um, yeah, Roger Deakin and, too. You know, it's like <laughs> I keep you... getting in the argument I was having. I was having with Casper uh, Newbolt, who's a good friend and uh, designer, does all the album art and stuff for me. And um, awesome. he uh, he didn't like it. <laughs> and so we've been <laughs> we we've been sort of and it was weird. What was his we debates somehow, or his? his um... He just he just could not buy the story at all, uh, especially mm. her as her as a lead character. Like you know the decision she was making, which I think is a fair sure. yeah argument to make. I. The only thing that I was sort of hung up on with that was, you know, um, that sh- the, there's a conscious decision to sort of have the audience in the dark with her. And and it's sort of I, that sort of galvanized her decision making for me as a viewer. But I think I'm probably more biased about the film just because of Johansson's score. I mean, the score yeah. just... <laughs> I couldn't the whole time. Well, it was like, and the thing is like he, the film itself is extremely tense, but there's not, there's not, um, 
it's not tense in a it's a smart tense like, yeah it's very smart well, the, it's tension. very smart but it's also like a music tense yes you know? exactly like, that's like what i mean it's, it's he's not using certain like handheld shaky cameras he's building the tension you know i know it's a lot of long takes a lot of layers like, yeah a lot of layers and it's almost sort of like the relationship between you know something like hitchcock and mm-hmm. and Herman. You know? and it's like you look at that and it's like I don't know the whole movie. It's like the scene where they're trying to cross back over the border mm-hmm. yeah. and, and it's a great scene. Uh, Benicio pulls the stock out on his, his assault rifle. <laughs> like I swear I was in the theater and I must've jumped like six feet just from the sound, just because of the music and everything mm-hmm. else. It's like, it's just expert. It's compelling. Tension. It is. Yeah. It's amazing filmmaking. It really is. It's at its best you, but I think that Denny is really amazing at being able to, put all the geniuses in the right spot you know <laughs> he's sure. got an amazing composer he's got you know roger deacon who's he's just amazing you know like i was studying fargo the other day because it's just one of my favorite films and it's he just the way he shot it is so brilliant there's a lot of times it drives me nuts with movies that just pick up the camera and they just go ape shit and shake it all over the place and like you don't know what's going on it really drives sure. me nuts with roger he does a nice mix between the two but he just knows exactly the perfect place to put it to the perfect part. It's like, I wouldn't change a thing and, and I'm searching for flaws, you know? And I just, yeah. And yeah. Sicario, I just felt like he just really, he hit it out of the park again. I'm like, wow, man, like <laughs> these are really Bullshit. brilliantly laid out shot sequences. Like the shot where they're arguing outside of the building and they're, we're far away from them. I just thought that was such a smart and genius like way of showing that tension, but making it almost as if we happen to be, close enough to hear it but farther enough to be kind of like letting them have their privacy so it yeah. felt very real and it's just like those little decisions to me are just like icing on the cake just couldn't be better you know so yeah he's I, also I, he's also kind of a master of the director is kind of a master of with the last few films just how he uses cg in the mm, films yeah it's I brilliant think, yeah, it's, it's like it's fincher really style in, yeah. yeah exactly i was gonna yeah. say it's it's Hidden. definitely along the lines of fincher and that it's you you wouldn't even know half of it is you know made in a computer and it's and it's but it's also very careful and delicate to not always make whatever it is the focus you know it's it's very much adding to what he's trying to say but without being about um, some computer generated, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about story first and foremost. And I, that's why I'm thinking I'm, I'm really quite curious to see what you do with a world that does have to be so heavily CGI. You know, it'll be interesting. Uh, my hopes are up high. I, I think, um, I mean, you know, I think the key is like anytime you go and do something that li- that is like it precedes a, a masterpiece or an amazing piece of art, it's, it's always going to live in its shadow, you know. So it's well, like, you're all, you're also dealing with something that's sort of defined tone for a lot of science fiction, yeah. crazy nostalgia. It's no, n- so. nostalgia. You're talking yeah. about also, um, you know, really some pretty gnarly storytelling, and you're dealing with probably one of the more iconic film scores ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, it's, it's a, a lot it's a, of pressure. It's a tall order. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think if there's anybody to make that 
now with the power to be able to move the things that you need around, I think he would probably be a, he's a good candidate. And I think, um, it's actually, I mean, it is interesting. I I think they're done. Um, I think they've, they wrapped it up already. Um, Blade Runner is done, but I believe they're, they're doing final just touch-ups and stuff, I think. But I think, um, with Dune, it's going to be quite interesting because, you know, if you look at, um, David Lynch and his approach and his his failures and and yeah. successes with that. I think that Denny's going to bring a different perspective, and I think it'd be quite interesting. I'm I'm a fan of his work because I just enjoy the I enjoy I enjoy the rides that he the things that he unveils and stuff. And I really personally really enjoyed Arrival. Um, I, it's funny because Anthony uh, Anthony is such a hard ass on movies, which he needs to be. <laughs> and it's the Aspergers too, yeah. I think too. And we yeah. have um, we have like gentlemen like we don't really get like you suck you know we don't get like because there's no need for it we have like good debates about it but he had some good valid points about what didn't make sense to him but for me it wasn't necessarily about the logic of certain things i was okay with it breaking every once in a while because i loved the the experience of the story and how it evolved and her development and, and the way that they kind of showed this thing. And it's a very simple story at the core, but how vast and big it is. And I just love sci-fi that's kind of presented like that. And I'm like contacts, one of my favorite films. I just love that, sure. that feeling, you know? So well, yeah. for me, it's funny. Like I had a similar argument uh, again with Casper and I think, you know, um, which don't get me wrong. Like, I love Casper and he's crucial to me as an artist in that, you know, a lot of times, I rely on like there's people that I have kind of in my circle that I send music to and they're not musicians. And to me, that's the best, the best way. I know that Casper will always tell me the the absolute truth. Like he's not going to sugarcoat it, but I also know he's, he loves music, but he's not a musician, you know? And I think that, um, to me that's refreshing and we have that kind of relationship. And again, it's, you know, it's not the, the debate we have never gets, crazy or anything. It's just sort of, and with arrival, it was like, I saw arrival the first time in the theater and I didn't, I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, it was, it was, it was good. It was interesting. I thought it was really interesting. I, at first I really did not like the, um, the design of the aliens. Um, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. I was not, it wasn't, it wasn't so much the design. It was the fact that they weren't practically made was the fact that they were, I'm just, for me, I love science fiction. When I go to see a science fiction film that has to do with aliens and the alien is computer generated, I just, I like lose it. I'm like, Mm. it just kills. I think it's because I think it was ruined for me because of signs. Oh God. Don't (laughs) even talk about that. You get to the end of signs and it's like a computer (laughs) alien. I'm like, why, why would you go, why would you go through all of that to have this really terrible looking? I know. I have one word. M night Shyamalan. (laughs) That's why. <laughs> so, but no, for me, for me, I saw Arrival a second time. My wife, yeah, wanted I watched to see it twice it. in the theater, and yeah. and the second time I liked it a lot more. And I think it's because mm-hmm. I could pay attention, yeah, to the structure. I could understand, you know, um, the decisions that they made as far as cutting in and out of what she's the visions she has mm. and, and under, understanding them as visions. Spoiler alert was, for people yeah, that have so, seen it. Sorry, po- but hit, like <laughs> m- hit mute or something for the next five minutes. Sorry, guys. Go watch but, uh, this movie. Shame on you. You haven't seen it too, and you like the podcast. It's been out. Yeah, it's, it's been, been out, out for a while. while. It's a great Everybody movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I um, I, I enjoyed it. I the use of good. sound was amazing in that brilliantly used, simply yeah. used, simple tool used brilliantly. And I think like having that shift, you know, in that timeline, using the sound to, to infer that pff, 
sure. Epic, man. I love that a lot. And really Johansson is kind of on this kick with voices and a lot mm-hmm. of his work lately bop, that's been bop, bop, yeah, it's been bop, just bop. really, yeah, really, 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 cool. really yeah. great stuff. I love that score. I listened to it for about a month uh, after watching the film to it. There's some really amazing moments in there. And I love the the horns. That whole yeah. big bre- like breathing experience and you know how they change the the gravity and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, um, you know, I was interesting. I, I love the gravity and tonality and shape of the alien, but yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I kind of just accepted it. Cause I, I mean, for me, I, I understand almost how I would basically make that from CG and texture and light it. And I could, sure. I'm getting close enough to being able to get close enough to make that shot or that sequence or that concept or whatever. So um, I kind of have to really just, totally unplug and just look at her acting and his acting their interactions the script does this feel right or logical and really makes sense and and then i started to think about the moral implications of the story and what they're trying to tell and what's the 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 high level concept of it there's this uh, podcast that i really love it's um i think it's jeff goldsmith's podcast I don't know if yeah, you're that's, yeah, that's like actually has been recently uh, recommended to me. It's awesome. And he had the writer, the screenwriter from Arrival on there. And it was an amazing interview. It was really, really good. And um, you'd love it. And anybody that's that, watched the film, you should watch it. So it's really so good. So is, that, is that the podcast where they get into talking about the editing and how the editing shaped kind the third of. act? Okay. A little bit, a little bit of a mix. Um, it's a mix of many different things. Um, you should watch it though. Cause it, it, it originally stems from a, a short story, which I've listened to by Doug Chang, I believe his name is. Yeah. Um, he wrote a book that had many different short stories. There's a couple of really great ones in there actually, but the screenwriter was in love with this one. Um, I think it was, I forget the name of the actual original story. It wasn't a rival. Obviously they shifted and changed it, but um, but it was really interesting in his dynamics of how he was talking about, um, just the characters and stuff. It was, I, I liked his screenwrite. I liked his screenplay a lot more than the story, original story. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a lot of things that didn't happen in the short story that I felt like they did in the movie and the screenplay a lot better. Um, so it was, a, he adapted what he loved and made it better in my opinion, which is really cool. And that's very rare actually. So, and I think it can't, once you listen to it, you'll get it. It's coming from a place of love. He really adored the story for like, he was sure. trying to sell it for like eight years, you know, and finally, well, that's a huge guys part of it too. Know, like so. if you're going to, if you're going to spend that much time developing something like, you, yeah, you should love it. You know, I think, so is it, you were talking about designing or, or getting to a place where you could design, um, the aliens from, mm from arrival. So is that as a person who's visual, who does visual design, when you see a film, are you constantly like reverse engineering what you're seeing as you're seeing it? Does that, does that hurt your ability to just enjoy a movie? (laughs) Yeah, it sucks. It drives me nuts. Uh, I'm constantly critiquing it, but I've tried to get to the point where I'm looking at it. You know, the last big directing experience was with Anthony when we were out in Spain directing the Lost Boy stuff and really just trying to understand how that dynamic works and it's just a matter of miles basically but I'm trying to see things from a different perspective too not just like a visual guy but also thinking about how the story is being conveyed the editing the pacing the tone um what I'm feeling you know um sure so it's it is really difficult for me to to 
disconnect those things. But I will tell you that a really great film, it doesn't matter. It'll just take me there. And a lot of great directors, like let's say Steven Spielberg, you know, like his films will take me to those places, you know, Um, like his classics, you know, Jaws and all that kind of stuff. They're amazing manipulative devices that just really push you to another place, another state of mind. Um, so this is great. I'm really glad because the f- top of my questions were just talked about film. We naturally just kind of went into it for 40 <laughs> minutes. That's awesome. Um, so what are some of your favorite films? You mentioned the, um, the conversation, which is, sure. well, you said I've, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't, I don't You should know. definitely see the conversation. Yeah. It's, it's sounds interesting. So it's, is this it's his a, first film? A, no, I don't think it's his first film. He, I, I want to say the conversation was a byproduct of something it was like a byproduct of the Godfather or something like it was hmm. like he part of the deal was he got to make his own ah, that's smaller right. film. I remember hearing about that. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant cast, Gene Hackman, hmm. you've got, um, uh, Harrison Ford's in it. You've got, uh, John Casal, who's like, you know, his filmography is basically every, just a ton of brilliant movies. And then he died. Hmm. And so you have, you just have a ton of awesome people in it. And, and then uh, on top of that, it's a great story. It has to do with uh, a guy who's essentially like an audio engineer or his, his, his gift is like, he's, uh, amazing at bugging things. So he, people hire him to go in and record something like a phone call or a conversation or something. And, and that's sort of the whole setup, but it's like, it talks, it deals with his paranoia. Um, and it has a, just a amazing, uh, just amazingly minimal, beautiful score by mm. David Shire, um, who uh, also wrote the score for Zodiac. Uh, ah, much, 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 much later. I love Zodiac. He, yeah. Just the guy has an amazing, amazing um, filmography. And Zodiac um, had a great, like a lot of really great hit music too that would like tie things together, sure. which really interesting too. But, I love the thing I love about David Shire, especially with the relationship to the conversation, is like he's. I think one of the things that's really tough uh, and and unfortunately nowadays it just happens all the time is, you know, movies are like wall to wall score. Yeah. And and a lot of times it's not a, it's not even something that's necessarily musical. It's just a texture. Hmm. And you know, you watch something like conversation and it's, it's just very delicate little melody on a piano and it's used with like such restraint. Hmm. And, um, and I, he does it again and he did it again in Zodiac. Um, Zodiac's a little bit more conventional cause it's more modern, but, um, yeah, conversation's a, a beautiful film. Just okay. a great, great yeah. tense story. Sounds awesome. I'm gonna have to watch yeah. it. I'm, I don't know yeah, why I, I missed it. I don't know. There's so many movies. <laughs> I, I really am slacking. You know, the problem for me is, is like, I, ha- I, I it's just how I do it. And most times in life, I like to repeat things. Things that sure. I like, I just go, oh, I like that, you know, and well, sometimes you get wrapped up in something and you just have to just like it. So almost, yeah, you just have to like wallow in it a little bit. I'll just keep know? watching and study it and study it over and over. But I mean, that doesn't do much, you know, it's just like, it just I, keeps I me like, in that same mind state, you know, so. I feel like for me, you know, the films that are really uh, influential to me are, you know, because I've, as I get more and more into scoring things, which has kind of been the last four years for me, like, um, I pay attention to films that just are really stimulating as far as the edit mm, yeah. uh, and the way the music sort of serves the edit. One of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites uh, when it comes to editing and sound is Soderbergh. Um, mm, which one? Which film? Uh, is? I mean, right off the top of my head, I just watched it the other day is The Limey. I haven't I seen mean, that one. The Limey is a, ex- just a 
brilliant example of using editing um, to crack to just using editing in an, in a really innovative way to kind of give the whole film kind of has this weird sort of almost fever dream like quality to it where he just lets audio or dialogue or the visual, everything just bleeds into each other. So like he might have audio from the next scene or, or mm. audio from the scene or the score and it'll just bleed in through the edit into the next scene. And it's done really, really tastefully. It doesn't feel, uh, it doesn't feel jarring, you know, it, it's, it serves the greater purpose of the story. And then also he's able to use the great, um, Terrence stamp, who's amazing in it. Um, but he also uses an old film uh, from the 60s that Terrence Stamp starred in to supply flashbacks. So it's not, it's like an unrelated film, but he, he I don't know, he just got the rights to it or whatever and just interjected it into his own film to huh. show. And it's really, I mean, the way it all comes together is really, really brilliant. But, um, awesome. you know, editing, editing wise, that kind of stuff, he did, he's, he's similar kind of thing with Out of Sight, um, which is a little bit more of a conventional story. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the big George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, but like the, the way that film is yeah. edited is a, is a similar kind of thing. The way he uses music. Um, I've just always been a huge fan of, um, of Soderbergh stuff. Solaris, his, his right. adaptation of Solaris, which is, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Tarkovsky purist, so I'm not going to sit here and debate. <laughs> the you know, I haven't seen the original one and I hear the book is even better than both the films. Too, I so. mean, the original one is just a pillar of, yeah. it's just a tower of science fiction. You just can't, you can't really, there's, you're not going to debate around that. It was kind of, I think it was kind of weird that they decided to remake that film mm. with George, with George Clooney. But, um, well, Cliff Martinez is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Cliff Martinez absolutely crushed it. I mean, that score. It's incredible. I remember, That's I, remember, all time. I remember seeing that film in, I don't know if I was still in high school or if I was like back in college at that point. But, um, I just remember immediately just leaving the theater and going and buying the score. Mm. Cause it was like, you just, you had, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, it's really good. Amazing, amazingly nuanced and textured and just really fantastic. Yeah. Uses a lot. I was watching a lot of videos on him. I got kind of obsessed for a month or so on just what he was doing and what he was, how he was doing the sounds. You'd use a lot of like glass, like, yeah. um, our strange, strange instrumentation and really sampling. Like, yeah, yeah. You'd sample, do everything like through like a steel drum kind of thing. And then through these like glass harmonic kind of water fingery and things. It, it was really know, interesting. Moving, yeah. moving from that, you could say, you know, another huge influence on me has always been the relationship between David Lynch and Badalamente mm. and, and their work together. And even a step further than that, I would say the relationship between David Lynch and Alan Splett, his sound mm -hmm. designer, yeah. through you know like a Racerhead and especially yeah, Racerhead, Blue, Vel yeah. Blue Velvet. I mean, yeah. I remember being in school and, and studying studying the the beginning of Blue Velvet. You know, it starts off with the guy watering his yard and he drops dead, and the camera just pushes into the to the grass and it goes kind of beneath the surface, yeah. which is you know you're you're basically foreshadowing the film, but. It's like this, the design of the sound that Alan Splett did uh, for that film is just mind-blowing. What do you I mean, think that is? I mean, you've done some stuff with scores. Like, do you think that somebody would listen to your stuff and go, that was just mind-blowing? And what do you think, like, is that, a, is that just a moment where you're really just in tune with the, 
with how to make the music you do and, and how to emotionally connect with that and everything's kind of aligning. Right. Is that what, that what it is? Cause sometimes it's, a, it's, it's easy to look from it as afar as a fan, right. And go like, it was so brilliant, you know, but yeah. is it, is it, is it that, or is it just people that are actually well, intelligent think, and, 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 and really positive about what they're focusing on or that energy that they're putting towards whatever it is that they're making? So you, you have to, I mean, obviously if you're going to sit down and watch blue velvet, you have to, you have to be willing to go along for the ride with that. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. All of and, his films, and, really. Yeah. And, and with Blue Velvet especially, I mean, his early stuff, what's interesting to me about that era of David Lynch is that he's he's not really operating too far outside of the mainstream at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yeah. he's making films. A little with, bit. It's a little obscure. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a little strange, but I mean, he's got... You know, he's got a, a pretty legit cast in that film. Mm-hmm. He's, Films he's, were pretty weird back then, too, anyways. Uh, generally, sure, you, yeah. you could get away with more. But I think that... The Repo you know, Man and all kinds of stuff going on back yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have a guy who is so tuned in to what he wants, you know, and, and you have a guy who's... And the thing that strikes me about Lynch is that he seems... Like, you listen to him or you, you read stories about him on set, and it's like he seems like... He's sort of like, well, we're going to, we'll see what happens, you know, like it's yeah. like almost you read about like things like Mulholland Drive or something like that. He's like, you know, and even the later stuff, it's like, well, we're just going to, you know, I don't know. And, and you he feel seems that like in he's, the film work. Yeah. yeah. And, but, but at the same time, you're like, you know, he, what's, what Alan Splett was doing with sound design is not all that dissimilar from what Battlemente does just writing the score. And you, you look at him, I th- there's a documentary, I think that Lynch made around, uh, around Angelo when they were doing uh, Lost Highway. Hmm. And you look, you look at him writing and, and composing for Lost Highway and it's like he's recording things through like PVC pipe and like just trying to get different timbres and sounds and things like that. So he's, he's doing as much sound design as you know, somebody like Splat is doing sure, or, and, and, and trying to come up with this unique sort right. of otherworldly, which is kind of like what you have to have if you're dealing with somebody like David Lynch. And so I think to me, you know, working on anything, whether it was, you know, working on, uh, the first thing I ever scored, which was, um, 88, 88 for, uh, my friend Joey Chicoline, or, you know, then going on to something like Manifold, you know, Obviously, you want to have a good communication with whoever you're working with. Um, yeah, that's you know, key. Yeah, and and then also you want to be somewhat tuned into what you're doing so that you can you know what you're doing is going to serve the purpose of of whatever it is. So like when I was working on Manifold, it's like, okay, so what's you know, Manifold? It was like I was sort of cheating because Anthony is a musician in his own right. You <laughs> yeah. Know? When he came to me, I was sort of like, I don't know why you need me. You know? you, you're yeah. perfectly capable. Anthony and, is a beast. He's very capable he, of many things. Yeah. But but in our conversations, like in his notes, he was so precise yeah. as to what he wanted. You know, he didn't. That's going to be nerve wracking, though, huh? It was. I mean, yeah. it was. Because you know he's a musician, you can't hide anything. <laughs> I think it, it was nerve wracking after like the first kind of Skype conversation that we had before we did anything hmm. because I, because I could tell a, that he's, he's super intelligent guy, yeah, he's but very B, smart. he, he's also acutely aware <laughs> almost in a scary way of like what he wants. I remember him, you know, looking at the first cut and going, okay, so right here I want the, like, I want the thing, the bass sound from the thing. (laughs) Yeah, he knows it. Yeah, and and so when you have somebody who's able to kind of pinpoint it, you get that fear of like, okay, well now I have to actually deliver that, 
and and move through that. But I also think to Anthony's credit, he gave me enough freedom to kind of, you know, he, he was very, I think one of the things that he did that I think is really, really helpful is he's also like not afraid to tell me what he doesn't like. Mm, you know, a lot of times yeah. you get into working relationships and it's like, they're sort of tiptoeing around telling you that they don't like something. It's like, no, I'd rather you tell me now so we can sure. we can cut it out or change it or whatever we need to do. And so, you know, working, working on Manifold, it was like, I don't know if people, um, you know, I don't, I don't really approach it or look back on things and go, well, I hope, you know, I wonder if people look at that and think, man, that really just blew my mind. But like, I think that, um, my goal is always to make sure that a Anthony's happy and that, you know, or the director is happy. And then, um, you know, the, the, the work I'm doing is serving, you know, whatever the vision is, um, which doesn't necessarily mean making the director happy. It means, you know, doing something that has my kind of creative perspective on it. My vi- it's seeing through the lens of like whatever my voice is mm. um, and then meeting whoever the director is kind of halfway and saying, you know, and, and I've worked on projects where, you know, things maybe didn't work super well or, um, you know, or I ended up getting in a situation where, you know, maybe I'm not, don't have an, uh, the freedom that I want, or I just flat out disagree with what they're trying to do. And that's, sure. those are the, those are the experiences where I learn the most because, um, it becomes a bit, it's a, it's a higher challenge, you know, it's yeah. like, it's not all, you know, manifold <laughs> was fairly straightforward. It was like, he, he gave me some notes. I sent him some stuff and, and that was that, you know, we didn't really, we, we didn't have to hash anything out or make anything, you know, too drastic. Um, that's cool. And, and so it felt you know, very natural though. It fit well. So, and that's the thing. Yeah. With Anthony he's very precise. He knows exactly what he wants, you know, and sometimes that can be very scary because you're like, wow, you really know it. And sometimes I like to be in the ether, you know, like, Oh, let's just see what happens here. Like, um, sure. but I think that there's just different types of film makers, you know, you have, the school of Fincher or you have the school of Lynch or whatever, you know, you have different processes and different ways of seeing things and getting them out of, you know, whatever it is, it is that you're making. So yeah. well, I think like my first experience scoring with Joey, you know, in 88, he articulated to me what he needed. You know, he would tell me, you know, I needed to, the, all the first passes were too light, you know, and he came back and said, no, I need everything to be darker. Mm-hmm. And looking back on it, it was a great experience because I was able to sit and really, just lose my mind watching that short film over and over and over again to kind of really get into what's going on with this girl and where is she and, and, you know, dialing in the right sense of dread, you know, through that film. Cause I will always, and it's funny because now the relationship that I have with Joey, it's very clear. Like I will always out dread him <laughs> mm. all, all the time, you know, so for us to have that, and that was the, fir- our first working relationship and our first real, you know, relationship at all, you know, was working on that film and, but being in that and going over it again and again and again led to making the record 88, you know, and, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's weird how things work out. You know, it's, it's the different kind of relationship, different dynamic. Like Joey didn't come to me and say, well, I need this sound here. I need this there. He just reacted purely on instinct and went, sure. well, you know, this is working or it's not. And, yeah. and I, I think the end product was, you know, far better because of that. Hmm. That's interesting. I recently, um, directed a short with my friend Chris called Epoch and we had my friend Ben Boyson score it. And usually I will kind of 
I'm very much like Anthony. I'll be like, okay, this is like, bam, and this right here, and it's going to have this thing. And for Ben, I love his music so much that my approach was that, Ben, I'm such a fan of your work. It just, please, like, you know, go and make what you feel emotionally connects to the images that I'm putting to you, you know? That's a gift. (laughs) No, it was cool. I I feel like, I think that might have been a little rare experience for him. I think he's been used to, like, people just you know, sending the notes and like really running them through the paces. And I think it was kind of an odd thing for him. I think he was looking for like, is this okay? Do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, man, this is beautiful. Like I just, I love your art and I really want you to just do what you love to do because I think that's where you, that's where if I were to say like, Hey, like just mimic Philip glass, you know, like what's the point in that? You know, like then I'm just, I'm going against the grain and, and everything I'm complaining about with like the inception boom. And I'm just the same thing, you know, I'm just saying do this cool thing, but I yeah. want you to do it. It's like, that's no cool. That's not cool just, for that person. Just, you know? just brahm it out. Yeah. Brahm it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Do you, would, if you had that scenario, do you, would you, would it be like, let's say Denny came to you and is like, Hey, I want to do, I want you to do the score for Blade Runner. What would be your thoughts on that? And he was like, I just want you to do it. You just do. I would. I would say no. <laughs> no, I that's think, a smart. Um, that's a smart move. You would say yes. You don't lie. I think. You. <laughs> I think I would. Um, you know, I watched the. I love the um, Hollywood Reporter roundtable videos they put up. Yeah, those are great. They they did one a few years ago that was all composers and listening to them. I think it was like John Powell and Danny Elfman. I've, I think Trent Reznor I've seen was that one. That's where I got my inspiration from. That one, so, that roundtable from Danny, actually. So that part, there's a part of that where John Powell speaks to the idea of, you know, and John Powell is a he's he came from Zimmer. You know, yeah. Ron Zimmer was like his mentor, and like so he's just sitting there talking about how you know you get a job, somebody's hired you on to score this film and you spend the first month procrastinating, (laughs) doing nothing. (laughs) And then you spend the second month sort of like panicking Mm. and then you spend the last month doing the work. And it Hmm, was like, and they were all around the table. We're just kind of like, yeah, that's about, (laughs) that's about right. And I think that, you know, it's, I don't know. I think, um, if, if I were to be handed, you know, the, the, the golden ticket to Blade Runner, you know, I, I don't know. I think it would be, I don't envy Johansson there. You know, I think he's got big, big, big shoes to fill in Vangelis. And I think he, and I think he's, you know, um, I think it's, that's a tough one because you have to sort of respect the original material I mean, there's obviously themes at play there that you want to touch on. There's obviously the the pedigree of the uh, you know the, the production, the way that Vangelis produces his music. You know, the way that he uses percussion, the way that he uses chimes and bells, and the way that he has he uses reverb, and then the also the the just the heavy history of the Yamaha CS80, which is the synth that he used all over that score. You know. These are all not things that are taken lightly if you really respect the original material. And so you have to be aware of that stuff. But then you also have to sit there and say, okay, so how do I, what's my voice through that? You know? Yeah. And, and, and then how much respect do I pay there and how much do I want to, you know, cause it's like you watch the, the little teaser they put out, which I'm like 99% sure that none of that music was actually Johansson's, but like, 
you know, you could tell what was going on there, even if it was Johansson or it was some, you know, teaser house making that thing. But like if, you know, the, they're obviously trying to sort of walk a very fine line, you know, having yeah. the sort of ethereal floating synth melodies and then also like the real dark textural, like bassy kind of stuff going on, which is pure Johansson. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think, um, I think you'd have to spend a lot of time respecting Blade Runner and then you have to like push it to the side, the, the original and sort of like not lose your mind. And I think that's the real, you know, going, that's why I brought up the, the, the Hollywood Reporter roundtable. It's like, I think that would be the problem. I think you would spend a month or two just like pulling your hair out <laughs> going, hmm. what am, what am I going to try to figure you know, out what it'd be? <laughs> how is this? And, I, and I think honestly, the, probably the mechanics of the process is what would save you. You know, you'd come in and say, okay, so now I have the film and now I'm looking at the film and, and writing music to the film and then, you know, and, and getting kind of lost in the mechanical aspect of scoring would probably bring you back to earth because you go, okay, now I have a job to do and I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Know? The process of doing it. Yeah. At that round table is actually where I got my inspiration to like, you know, cause they were griping about temp music and I was like, yeah, no shit. Temp music's whack. You know, like <laughs> I remember yeah. sitting in, I won't, can't talk details. I'll get in trouble, but I remember watching a part of an edit of a film and they had temp music and I was like, Oh, well like you have inception in here and then you have all these other things. And I was just thinking, man, like the composer is just screwed because you've already put that emotional te Like all the producers yeah. are listening to this. You're listening to this and you're feeling that thing. Yeah. You're not going to let them do anything other than that. You really aren't. <clears throat> you know, they're not going to be able to get away with it. And that's just horrible because they're not allowing them to really explore really a new sound, a new vision, a new uh, version which is very important, I think. And that's why we have a lot of redundancies, you know, there's tons sure. of redundancies that are happening. Well, temp, temp music is sort of, the problem with temp music is it can be, it can be helpful hmm. and it can be like the experience on 88, you know, he tempt almost the entire short with, uh, Martinez's music from drive. Okay. Which yeah. in, in and of itself is <laughs> wonder how many movies the, have used that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, in and of itself, it's a, that whole score, you know, the ethereal stuff from drive is mm. just a, well, it's amazing. It's a riff on Eno, you know, it's like a, yeah, it's a, true. It's yeah. a an ending ascent. So like if you, um, you know, so it, when you hear that, it's kind of like when, when he sent me the film with that in it and I just churned out a bunch of Brian, Eno y kind of ethereal stuff. And he was like, no, 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 this is too light. And it was like, he didn't actually want that. He was just using it to kind of accomplish the job. Now in that case, hearing that with the film for me as the composer was like poisoning the well, you know, mm. it was hard for me to get away from that. Sure. And, um, but then at the same time, like I'm scoring a game right now and the developer sent me uh, a, a, a build of the game and I'm, you know, I, I pulled it up and it just starts up and there's like music. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what is this music? Like, is that, you know, you have another, <laughs> somebody else working on this. And, um, you know, but it was, it was something he really, slap in the face. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It was something, you know, he's, he's an indie, indie developer and he's like, you know, I, I, something I just really liked and I was just testing it out with the sequence just to see what it felt like. And in a way it, it kind of helped me kind of, you know, it kind of changed the wind in the sails, so to speak a little bit hmm. because I hadn't really been thinking about that 
the that sequence. And, you know, that was important to him. And so I'd been making all this stuff that I was really into and he's really into it. And we're kind of sending stuff back and forth and talking at Skype or whatever. And and when I heard that, I was kind of like, oh, you know, this is kind of interesting, you know. And so I tried to sort of marry the stuff I had been doing with kind of this other textural quality that he had, you know, he had all the, it was like the track had like all these kind of late eighties, early nineties, like digital synth kind of weirdness going on. And, and so I sort of sat down and, you know, spent the better part of an afternoon sort of hammering out some stuff that felt like to me, it was my thing. Um, and, and so to me that was useful, you know, it wasn't like the kiss of death. Now, you know, scoring a game is totally different than scoring a film. Yeah. But, totally um, different dynamic. But it was it was useful to me because sometimes you're dealing with people that are not that cannot speak a musical language. You know, how many times have I worked on a film, you know, with a director who, you know, the way they explain a situation is like, I just want it to feel big. I hate that. (laughs) You know, I hate that. No, it's hard, hard, you know, because you're like, no shit. You want to feel, feel big. Give me something else here. (laughs) It can, it can mean so many things, you know, and, and as a composer, you're like, okay, well it makes your job harder because then, then you're basically doing the work place to, to interpret. And that's painful. That's not directing though. That's what drives me nuts when people do I'm a director and then like, they're vague as hell. I'm like, no, you're not a director. You're not doing crap here. You're making it worse. (laughs) Yeah. And you have to figure out part of the job also then becomes deciphering their language. And that's hard too, because you want to speak their language so that you can communicate effectively. And you also, you know, for me, it's hard because you don't want to, you know, my, my mantra working with anybody is don't be a dick. <laughs> so yeah, like I, absolutely. I'm always trying to, you know, respect what they're trying to do and not be a jerk about it and just be like, you know, yeah, it's frustrating, but I'm, I'm also, I want to, I want to score this thing and make it what you want it, you know, and make it yeah. right. And, and so a lot of times, you know, for a guy like me, I, you know, I would say I'm, I'm at a place now where about 75%, 80% of what I'm doing is analog, you know, mm. so I have like all of these analog synths and I'm doing all this stuff and like, you know, trying to interpret your language and having to revise can be very time consuming, you know, because I have to go back and I have to retrack everything or mm. to read this. It's not just, you know, is there a reason around. why you do analog? Is it the feel, the sound, the warmth I, of it or I what is it? The sound that I have is largely defined by using analog sense. I've mm. always felt, I always gravitate towards analog because, you know, there's just something it's, it's not perfect. And, um, and also I think a lot of times, a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, a a lot of the movement in the industry is going to be based on trying to emulate a sound, Um, especially now that everybody's making, you know, retro, whatever you want to call it, synth wave or whatever. It's like (laughs) everybody is trying to sort of commodify, the idea or the feeling or the tone. And so, you know, there's like a million plugins that emulate a a sound or whatever. And then nine times out of 10, I listen to that stuff and I'm like, it just doesn't sound right to me, you know? So I'm like, I'm just going to rather go to the source. I also like, well, it's okay. (laughs) I don't know if you love that. If that's what you want. The thing is though, like I'm not, you know, like I think well, everything would, goes to digital I, though, right? I mean, it all ends up in the computer, right? It all ends up in the computer, but at the same time, like, you know, I've been doing, so the last two EPs I did for this label, Data Airlines, you know, it's like Wave Hymnal and, and, and Chrome were both about, A, my love for William Gibson, and B, 
I really wanted to challenge myself to make something, you know, after working on something like wilderness, that's heavily analog and took forever to make. And then going back and saying, you know what, I'm going to make something quickly. It's going to be extremely harsh sounding. And I wanted to focus on that kind of digital feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. And so both of those EPs were made with that kind of express, like, you know, I really want to pay homage to, you know, neuromancer or, you know, I really want to do something that fits into that kind of cyberpunk mm. thematic thing. And, and so to me, it was important to say, you know, and I, I think in that way, it's like, I'm not afraid to sit down with my laptop and just make something with my laptop completely in the box. Like it doesn't bother me. Mm. It's just, a, it's just a sense of like, you know, when I'm working on a film, I like that I can sit and play something on a synthesizer sure. record in. it's got like some noise to it. It's got a little bit of imperfection, yeah. you know, to me, that's where the kind of the magic happens. So sure. And that does, that makes sense. You're finding value in the tools because it's just kind of something that validates whatever it is that you find important. And that's, it's your freaking um, your prerogative, you know, like that's yeah. your thing. And if that's what you I like, you know, it's fine. I think there's people out there too that are like, willing to denigrate, you know, one way or the other. And I'm, I'm just not there. Cause I just don't, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, like Joey, when we did all the promos for 88, he would do all these, these amazing video promos and he would actually take like old analog, you know, VHS stuff. And I mean, there are plugins you and things you can do to make it look that way or whatever, but yeah, it was like, it looks cheesy though. Know, he had, you know, it was important to him to do, and you can tell, I mean, when yeah, you watch the different. stuff, it was like, man, it, it really looks good, you know, and he, you know, and, and so I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, some people out there can do, um, do it one way and some people can do it the other way. And you know, there's no right, wrong or right. More power here, to you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which, whatever way it works, you know, there's no wrong or right. I think that's the key here. It's just like, you're just going out and making whatever it is that you're doing. And I think if you're really passionate about it, then just do it. It doesn't like, there's no, if you're not hurting anybody, then fuck the critics. Really? That's my opinion. You know, like sure. people are going to hate you no matter what you do. You, you, you're amazing. People are going to hate you for being amazing. You're a dick. People are going to hate you for being a dick. It's <laughs> like, it, you, you're damn if you do it, damn if you don't. People are going to love you the same way too. They're going to love you if you're a dick. They're going to love you if you're, you're great. You know, like I think yeah. that's, that's what you need to do is just find that passion, right? And find that thing, that tool, that device, whatever it is that you find value in and you stick with it because it's something that brings you joy on a daily basis. And that's really what life is about, like finding those joys and finding those things that you're really, you know, going through those, um, those motions of, you know, dealing with things to find those simple joys. I think that's really, well, plus the I mean, you're, of life. So you're a, you're a tech person. It's like you find that thing that just inspires the hell out of you, you know? Yeah. And for me, you know, synthesizers do that for me, you know, yeah, like when awesome. I, when I get some new piece of gear or some new thing, like I'm not a, I don't have quite the like, you know, just insane gear lust that some people have, but like I, my preference has always been, you know, I'll pick something up and, and immediately like, it's kind of goofy. Like visually it has to speak to me too. Like I have to look at the thing. Sure. <laughs> if I have a synth and it just looks crappy or it has a horrible layout or it's ugly looking, like I just, I'm, Re way less inclined to even screw around with it to begin <laughs> with. But like yeah. if I sit down and something's just really visually stimulating and then sonically is stimulating, just, you know, just go up running through presets or whatever, like I will sit down and I will learn that thing inside out because to me, I'm like, I can't have it in my studio space if it's not something that's going to really, that I'm going to really, really, really know how to use. Yeah. Um, that's smart. And, 
Well, I think that's part of the thing, especially with a genre like synthwave. I think that's something that really hurts it is that you have a lot of people that this is the part where I'm going to start what's shit synth, talking. What's synthwave? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to get into. I don't know. There's so always genre, like subgenres. Yeah, well, yeah. electronic music uh, unfortunately gets bogged down with lots and lots and lots of genre, genrefying everything. But sure. synth synthwave, or I don't know what you want to call it. You know, just the whole retro synth. You know, things people hear stuff and they're like it sounds like the '80s. You know, or whatever. Oh, like the like and, the score for like um, Stranger Things and stuff like that. And huh? sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, um, what pains me about that is that you have a lot, I was actually talking to somebody about this over email here recently, like another artist, but I was like, you know, if you look at the amount of stuff, like on, just go to SoundCloud, you know, and search the genre synthwave and then look at how many people are making this music and then weigh that against how many of those people are playing live. You know, how many of these people perform shows? It's not very many. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing about it is I think that you have an abundance or like an overabundance of people that watch Stranger Things and go, hmm, you know, I could do that, you know, and then sure. get inspired but briefly. Yeah. You're, you're inspired. But the problem that I the problem that I see and the, the advice that I always give to people is like, if you're going to start making music on that pretense, like you know, you're going to do better to like lock yourself in a room for five years and just work and then release something, you know, Mm -hmm. don't, because all of your impulses at the beginning are going to be emulation. And that's not really true to like what it is, you know, to me, that's not a true voice. Like to me, that's like, you're just doing it because you think, you know, I could do that, you know, and and it's not, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's necessarily a healthy way. I, I think that's different than seeing, being motivated by something like seeing a piece of art or seeing like a film and and feeling like you're chasing after a tone or you're trying to, if you're hearing something and you're just trying to recreate it for the sake of recreating it, um, you know, that to me inevitably just waters down the the entire scene or the whole genre and just nothing is cutting edge. It's always just, and then you get locked into like every track has, well, every track has to have the same drum sounds or the same bass sounds or the same whatever, you know? And it's like, and uh, I remember when when I re- released Wilderness, I was really nervous about that record, you know, because it was different. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like '88. And you know, I still get <laughs> I still get the odd Facebook, uh, Twitter comment from people that are like, you know, oh yeah, I like this new thing you put out, but uh, you know, I, my favorite is really '88. <laughs> it's like, mm. and it's like when you hear that, it's like I don't that stuff doesn't bother me because I realize like I can't re I can't just rehash the same thing over and over again you know and when I I took kind of a left turn and went into wilderness and tried to make something that was pretty dark and but I mainly because I had to you know at the time in my life it was like I had to get that out of me and so like you know I it it was a a thing that had to be done and then I made another left turn and went and did you know start over with data airlines and making this like crazy digital stuff for them and you know, and, and the idea to me is like what's stimulating to me is just that forward momentum and, and, and doing new things. And so my advice to people all the time that are like, if I get emails from kids that are like, you know, I'm starting out, what should I do? It's like, just do you just be, you know, do the thing that, that you respond to that you really, you know, can sink your teeth into and be like, this is my voice. You know, don't try to have someone else's voice, just you know, work on the stuff that, that really stimulates you and motivates you. And, 
and, and really pay attention to that, really hone the craft and really try to, you know, be about something, be about something, but just try to be, you know, pure with it. You know, like I don't, I don't know. I know people that produce that are like, I can't listen to any other music when I'm producing. And I'm, I'm not like that. You know, I like I'll listen to whatever, you know, I, I find that to me, it's like, I can't, I can't sit still, you know, like a lot of times with music, it's almost like I have that restless leg, you know, it's like, I just have to constantly be doing stuff. So it's like when score work started coming along, it was like, you know, I, I was like, sure, let's do it. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no, I have no idea how this works, but but I'm going to like sit down and I'm going to, you know, and then, and in that world, it's like, I'll approach things musically, but first and foremost, it's always like, what do I feel? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think even to this, even to this day, like, I don't think that I've had, um, you know, even with Anthony's law and order (laughs) sound, like, I don't think there's ever been a (laughs) moment where I'm like, I'm going to do this because I saw this in a film, you Mm -hmm. know, like, I'm sure that I did that out of instinct. Like it came like the, the cut happened and I was like, no, this, this scene is very stark and different. Now we're, we're cutting away from the, the conversation with the guy in the building to like the barn shot and the barn is about to get crazy and we're going to see all these bodies. And it was like, you know, I, I was like, I wanted to have a crazy sound because that's the way I interpret it, you know? And, you know, um, to me, scoring film is almost more exciting than making a record because it's a, I love the collaborative nature of it, but B it's the opportunity to do a whole bunch of crazy shit that I wouldn't do on a record, you know? Mm. And, and also to respond to somebody else's vision, you know, when they send me something and I'm watching it, I'm like, Oh man, you know, this is like when I was working with Saman on hit TV, it was like, yeah, I was going to talk about that too. The yeah, difference between like, Anthony and Saman because they're completely <laughs> different animals too. Uh, uh, Saman's awesome. Anthony's awesome. <laughs> completely different creators and just sty- styles and yeah, everything in general. Saman, yeah. uh, working on hit TV was amazing and exacer. Uh, uh, what's the right word? Um, just, uh, exhausting Mm. (laughs) Saman's a ball of energy man he is a he is a volcano of ideas and the thing I love about him is he's also a music lover so he knows yeah he loves music music but he just he knows your music really well too he's so well no that's the thing so like the story I always tell everybody about hit tv is like I'm working on hit tv and it's like Saman is the guy who sends you like I have my phone sitting on the desk you know in the studio and it's like it is exploding with text messages from Saman and I'm <laughs> sure he's on his laptop and so he's just typing it's like stream of consciousness but on my phone it's like ding 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 and it's so, like I'm sitting there I'm like, trying to keep up with it and <laughs> but he's like okay so for this scene what I'm thinking is I have you know this is happening and this is the emotion and this is what it's got to be and then he starts like going through like my entire discography Mm. And like, but like in specific songs at specific times and he knows what's the, he's like, okay, so at this song I had this, at this part, there's like this thing and you do this Mm. and he's like, and it's, and it's like, I had to stop what I was doing and just watch these texts just like, (laughs) like live, (laughs) just showing like blowing up on the phone, but like just being in (laughs) awe of like how like laser, I mean, 
you listen, like I listened to his, uh, to your podcast with him and it was like, <laughs> it's like four hours. Oh, and it's like, that's the longest it's like, podcast yeah, ever. Yeah. You should like, you, you get like an award for making it through the whole thing. But like he, <laughs> you should, he, yeah. <laughs> he like, for his, for a guy who is like just a machine gun of information, he is so like acutely aware and focused on what he wants. Mm, and to yeah. me, you can say whatever you want about the guy's films. Like he's a good director because he knows exactly what he wants. And yeah. He, and he, he has articulates his own style it. too. He, he articulates yeah. it perfectly because he's like, this is, this is what it's gotta be, you know? And like he, and we still talk and it's like, you know, I'm, you know, good. it would be amazing to work with him again. And you know, it was, it was stressful because he was, you know, he really pushed me. And, but I think he knew the whole, I never got the sense of like, man, Saman's just really raining on me. Like I always felt like I was in good hands. I always felt like Saman was pushing me because he knew I was going to do a thing that was there to be done that maybe I didn't even really see yet, you know? And, and to me, that's the sign of a good communicator and a guy who really trusts his team because he's going, okay, you know, like we're doing this, you know? And yeah, when you're directing, you're a great director in my mind is someone that has great direction, has great taste, um, knows how to communicate and incredibly well and and most importantly knows how to engage interact and get the best out of his team in any kind of way not threaten or just demean or destroy or be an egomaniac that doesn't do anything but cause conflict but employing those people like yourself how someone kind of employed you told you what he needed and he like let you go and make it you know i think that's really important and you're basically communicating because Saman can't make the music that you can make you know that's why you're there to do that you know and yeah. that's and that's an important thing and to really engage you and say like hey i know you don't know anything about this story yet but this is what's happening here and i need to feel this manipulative motion you know and and i think that's really key out of all the directors i study and look at you know i think the ones that succeeded the most had that really good combination of all those different different pieces you know everybody from really scott to coppola and lucas all those guys you know and they're doing the thing that they were doing best at the time that they were doing it best i think that's really that magic formula you know so and as you go through and i imagine as you navigate through working with different directors and different creatives you're going to find that you know oh, this actually works a lot better this guy is not good at that part of this one or this chick is really horrible this one or she's really great (laughs) at this part you know so um, and it's just a matter of just really understanding that because it is, it's lightning in a bottle. It really is. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, and you know, it's kind of crazy because like this year, so like I scored Brigador, uh, which was an indie game, which was a great experience. You were talking about the experience you had, uh, on your film where you're, you're talking to your composer and going, no, I just love what you do and just do your thing. You know, yeah. I don't really, and you know, with Brigador, it was basically that it was like, I would send them batches of things and they would be like, this is great. Keep going. And <laughs> as a, as a composer, you know, that's, I mean, it's, there's no better experience than that. And so yeah. Brigador was just an absolute joy to work on. I just, you know, and, and, um, and then, you know, coming off of Brigador, this year, it's like, you know, already I'm I'm working on another game. Um, I've got a couple of records that I'm working on, and then this um, uh, I've actually just been hired to curate a soundtrack, which is a really weird. It's a soundtrack for a feature film, and I didn't. I wrote like <laughs> so the the filmmaker um, is essentially a friend of a friend, and they were in post and 
my friend came to me and said, you know, um, the film is a, a dark night. The director is Tim Sutton. And, um, the, uh, they came to me and said, you know, we have this scene in the film and we need, uh, essentially like 30 seconds of like, just really kind of aggressive techno. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and no. so like I was, I was, um, no, it instantly was, it, pulled to, up the matrix soundtrack to, <laughs> to <laughs> me. It, no, no, to me it was just perfect because I was like, yeah, you know, I would love to sit down. And That's at the time great. I was still, I was still working my, my day job, which is like a desk. And so I'm like, I went on my lunch break and I went in the, the, uh, the like little like kitchenette thing we had. And I sat down and opened up my laptop and made 30 seconds of what I thought was pretty, you know, appealing, aggressive techno and sent it <laughs> off. And, and then there it is. It's like my first feature film credit. I was like, Oh wow, that's crazy. And so, <laughs> you know, so now here we are, like the film is, is in distri- is being distributed and, um, there you you know, they, famous now for your heavy came, techno. They, well, they, <laughs> well, so I told, I kept telling them, I was like, I just want to make a career where I'm just making like 30 seconds of techno for anything. Like, I don't care what it is. Just, and, um, a Snuggies commercial. <laughs> so like a I, Hot Pockets um, commercial. <laughs> Hot Ma- Pockets Matrix techno. 14. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think what Hot Pockets techno would sound like. Um, <laughs> the, no, but like, uh, so they, they came back, they, they came back and they said, you know, we'd, um, you know, we really want to release a soundtrack and we really want it to be this sort of curated experience. And so they sent me all of the audio for the film and mm-hmm. they sent me, uh, the score and it's my job to basically, um, put it all together and glue it together. So it's like a weird, it's a it's really strange, it's a really strange challenge because you think of like, when I think of like the great sort of what I would consider to be a curated uh, soundtrack experience. I think of something like natural born killers, you know, where there's mm. like dialogue that's used throughout, but the thing is not done in an obnoxious way. It's like mm. the thing is meant to be like a sister or a companion yeah. to the film itself. And, and they're like inseparable afterwards. You know, you can't listen to that soundtrack and not think of the film and you can't watch the film and not, you know, think of the soundtrack. Like yeah. And so, you know, the idea would be then to honor the vision, but then it's like, it's a weird experience because I didn't write any of the music, you know, it's just, it's just this, you know, and so I've been watching the film kind of taking it all in and, and it's a very powerful, extremely powerful film. And, um, so just, you know, doing that and then moving off of that, um, I'm sort of lined up to score my first feature this year. So I'm like, awesome. So, you know, moving into that transition from like your day job into, Doing yeah. So music yeah, that, that kind of happened in October where I was just kind of got to a place where I was like, all right, well, I'm going to kind of jump off and do this. And the thing is, the thing what I would say about sellout, man. Jeez. <laughs> I was joking. The, the thing I would say Perfect about time. that, no, 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 the, the sellout aspect would I'm be totally kidding by the staying, way. No, 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 I know it. But like the, the sellout aspect would be to stay at the, day in the at, at the desk I know. because the yeah. thing about it for me was like, you know, um, to me, I had this kind of ingrained thing where I was like the responsible thing. Cause I'm married. I have, you know, I've got kids, I've got two kids. And so I'm like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right stuff there. Sure. You know, to me, I'm always like, well, you know, the people that are like, I'm going to make it or I'm going to do this in music or I'm going to, you know, <sighs> and I, and, and the problem that you have is just like anything else, whether you're trying to be a filmmaker or a musician or an artist or whatever it is, you know, like you have to, at some point I had to sort of detach the mentality of like being in it to win it, so to speak. Yeah, you have to. And and, yeah. and then having then it comes. That, well, having that fear of like, I'm gonna jump off the cliff and if 
if the wings don't take hold, you know, I'm basically working at Guitar Center, you know, or something like that. And it's like, sure. you know, and, and so that's the that's the very galvanizing feeling that you have trying to and, and you know, it took it took me a while. It took me like a couple years of really starting to, you know, feel like the the responsible angles of everything were starting to kind of glue together where it was like I had enough work, felt like things were were had some momentum and and then I left. And when I left, I remember like we had my wife threw this little kind of surprise party for me. It was like just genuinely did not expect that and oh, was really awesome. really just humbled by all the people there, but it was like, you know, afterwards like at, at the thing everybody was asking me so what are you gonna do tomorrow you gonna take a day off you know and and it was weird because on your I, ass already man, I, I struggled yeah, i struggled to answer it because i'm like well i have no idea you know but the, but the reality is the thing that Get i've to learned work, baby <laughs> yeah the, the, but the thing that i've learned is that like now i ha- i can discover again yeah you know when yeah. i was working eight hours a day it's coming tough. home to trying to balance my life with my family and then also make music. I can't, I look back on that period and I'm like, I can't believe I made as much music as I did. Like, I don't know how I wasn't sleeping or I don't know what was going on, but like (laughs) at the same time, it's like, you know, now I can get up in the morning make some coffee and come in here and, you know, discover again. I can Mm. figure out, you know, whatever it is that's like, you know, sit down with a piece of, uh, of gear or an instrument and be like, what motivates me now? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's, man, that is the most worthwhile thing. Like if, awesome. if when, when you have something that you really love to do, like having the ability to just do it yep. is, a, is a gift. I'm right there with I mean, you, it's, man. Yeah. It's crazy. <clears throat> How old are you? I will be 35 okay. in a week. <laughs> we're, we're pretty close. I'm 33. So I'm a little bit behind you, but yeah, I mean, I've been, I moved down as 14, I've been struggling for a long time to get where I'm at now. I'm finally here. I'm just like, ah, oh, this is really close. I just kind of roll out of bed, you know, handle business with my companies that I'm running and, uh, you know, and I talk with my partners and make sure my wife's good. And then I go and I create and I just, it's so cool, man. It's cool. And it's a lot of choices that lead up to here, you know? So I imagine there's a lot of people are listening to this that are like, man, I really want to do that. I want to make that leap. A lot there's of it just so comes many... from the hard work of just the day and day monotonous, just grinding, yeah. you know, like just grinding Absolutely. with ultimate passion and the focus. I'm reading a book right now. I don't know if you uh, read much, but I, I read a lot. I read and listen to about four to eight books a month. And the ones that I'm on right now, one of them is called Mastery. It's really good. Um, but he You're basically like a- talks about like the the growth spurts and just like the plateaus of, of mastery and how like, you know, um, our society is like uh, has a war against mastery. And it's kind of true what he's saying because like, everybody wants an instant quick fix and that, like lottery ticket winner kind of bullshit and mentality. Like, you know, somebody is going to come up and like, you know, your, your fairy godmother is going to come and give you like your, your dream life. It's a bunch of bull crap. You know, it's like, it's all about hard work and sticking through it and dealing with the plateaus of of growth and stuff. And then every, every stage is another new experience, you know? So, but that's a good one I'm really into right now that you might like. So, yeah, no, totally. I'll check it out. I think, and, and you know, the thing about it is like talking about mastery, you know, going back to the whole conversation about like emulation, you know, and, basically moving through a process because you want to be like something else where you just go out and you, you know, ascertain just enough information, you know, to me, that's another like kind of 
it's like a double down on the importance of like really learning something inside and out because though that's where you get the information to that's going to give you the edge it's going to give you not really the edge but it's going to give you a better uh, foundation to form your own voice you know yeah and, for sure and at the same time like you know like leaving my job was a really terrifying thing to to sort of I remember that day too. Yeah, it <laughs> is terrifying. You're jumping off the cliff when you have terrifying. kids too, and family, and a mortgage, and all these sure. things. It's like shit. It, but I think that pressure makes you better, though. If you if you don't fall oh, underneath it, I think it just makes you sharper, makes you stronger, I think makes you better. The 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 I don't know how you qualify this, but like the one of the they they rated the Mark Maron Louis C K interview as like the greatest podcast of all time. Oh yeah, I've never listened to that. And, um, <laughs> some of the things I have, and there's just too much content. No, out there. it's, it is a great interview. And, but in it, you know, Mark Marin basically says, you know, uh, he's, he's addressing Louis CK and he's saying, you know, at some point something changed, you know, you went from being more of like an observational comic to really tapping into something that was culturally significant. Yeah. Universal. And Louis, yeah. and, and Louis CK just has this very raw, emotionally honest moment where he just says, you know, I had kids. I had kids and I'm standing there and I'm looking at this kid and I'm going, this is, this thing is now dependent upon me, you yeah, know, it does, and, it, yeah. and it does, it galvanizes the entire process because you're like, okay, now it's not just me dicking around in my bedroom studio anymore. This like serves a purpose, you know what I'm yep. doing. And, and I, I felt that. And I think that, Good. um, you know, taking that, but taking that leap, you know, at that point I had two kids and it was like, you know, my, my wife was incredibly supportive and, and it has been incredibly helpful and supportive to me through that. And like, you know, but it's like after leaving, <laughs> I learned, uh, I just, I felt like I had to wrestle with so many things that I just did not even think about, you know, sure. like, yeah. like namely like, you know, where my studios in my house, you know, working yeah. from home, <laughs> the dynamic of working from home uh, is, have you read great. manage your day to day? That's a good book. You'd probably like, yeah. it's good Making for you. A note. Yeah. Man, but, but like, that's bonkers, man. Like, you know, especially with two small kids, it's like, you know, having to sort of figure out your focus and figure out, um, you know, how to manage the expectations of your day versus the expectations or potential expectations of your family. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it can be very maddening, but yes, you know, emotionally talking, pulling too. Yeah. <clears throat> but talking about just being, uh, you know, very emotionally raw about it. It's like you, you know, I have a, you know, I, I'm very grateful. I have people in my life that are in a similar walk, you know, work from home or own their own business and, you know, really having those conversations and addressing those things and learning from those things has been critical to me since Good. October. Cause it's, it is just like, you know, it's a weird animal that, <laughs> and it, it catches you. It's a complete like sucker punch because you're just like, Oh, you know, I just thought this was going to be me hanging out, making, making jams all day. No, <laughs> like, like it's not, it's not at yeah. all. It's, it's a, it's a very different, but very real, um, you it's, know, it's more work than it was when you worked at the other place too. You know, it's, for it's, sure. it's, it's, you're responsible for so much more and your, sure. your output. So reliant on you getting that deep concentration, that focused time of complete dedicated thought and process, you know? And I think the moment, that you start to really realize that power. It's like, that's when things start to change and shift. You know, I have a lot of friends. It seems to be that there's a growing change in the way that people are working. There's not a lot of telecommuting or freelancers working from home and all that kind of stuff. I think, which I think is really amazing. It's really good because 
better for everybody, like less commuting, less traffic, less all that crap, you know, and a lot of people don't need, it's better for them to be home, you know, like just so they can be around, um, their families and stuff, even if they're not completely engaged at all times, I think it's really important. It's good. Um, better than just being stuck at an office and stuff, you know? Well, I think I and you may, you may have gone through this too, but it's like when you're working a day job and you're doing basically work extracurricular, you know, that you're really passionate about. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're trying to Different learn, efforts. you're trying to take all this stuff in. So, you know, I'd be working on, you know, whatever it was. I mean, it could have been manifold, you know, you're working on a, a film, you know, like hit TV was a good, is a perfect example, you know, really just slave in a way, trying to get hit TV, trying to talk to someone, trying to be, you know, get everything done and still working that day job. And so it's like, you know, I might work all night, you know, trying yeah. to hit a deadline for him, you know, sleep a couple hours get up, drive to work, be at work all day. And, and the thing is, the mentality is you're like, well, you know, I won't be totally mentally present at my day job, but I'm getting all this stuff done, you know? And then you come yeah. home and it's like, but then at the same time, like you, you come home from work, you're not really mentally present for your family. Yeah, true. You're, true, you're, you're exhausted. Yeah. And, and then, and then it, you know, there's no guarantee that I'm not going to have an email or a call from someone with like a litany of requests or needs. <laughs> and then you have to go back and address those things. And the thing is like, at that point you're spent, man, like you're not, yeah. you yeah. have no recovery time. So you're not like, you're not really on your best game. And, and tank so, is empty. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I tried really hard with hit TV to carve out time, you know, try to work on the weekends, try to do, you know, and, and, and thankfully, you know, the schedule on that was not super intense. I think a lot of my, a lot of the intensity on that was me imposing it on myself. But I think, you know, um, that those were things that I did not think about leading up to the decision to leave my job. I don't know if it was that way for you, but it was like, yeah, I didn't, a lot of I didn't, just I didn't, blind sides. Just like, Whoa. Yeah well, yeah. well, I think you're working towards this goal of like, this is the dream, you know, yeah. I want to do this, but you don't think about the fact that like, man, you know, <laughs> I left my job in October and it's like, yeah, my family life is better. You know, my, my life with my wife is better. You know, like I feel like I'm able to be more present, you know, like, yeah. Um, just on a practical level, you know, you're talking about people listening or whatever. It's like, that's, you know, I, I would say that's a huge factor that was not, that was not a factor, you know, that I didn't even th- really think about. It was like, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also like for me, it's like communication really clear, you know, with my wife, like if I'm in a, if, I mean the, the interesting thing and the cool thing as of late, like the past two years now, she quit her, her job and now she just manages me basically because my life gets so crazy. So yeah. many requests and so many things being pulled at me at all times. And I, I'm just like a kid. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. You need help. Yeah, let's do it. You know, like I just (laughs) want to help out and I like to meet people and I like to just help them with their projects and whatever. Um, and that, what that leads me down is just like, oh, I'm doing all nighters for weeks on end and I'm just a total stress case, you know, and nobody wants to be around me at that point because I'm just a dick, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's a big problem, but it's, what's been really interesting is she's, she is, you know, my producer basically. So she knows if she overbooks me or something that she is responsible for my emotional connect, my emotional condition, yeah. really, which is kind of cool because it connects to, uh, the two of us, but it's really hard to, uh, for us to separate the two work and marriage and, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is another thing we're working on. And it's a constantly like something, you know, I think there's one thing to be said. It's like, you know, prepare for failure, but prepare just as much for success, you know? And sure. I think to be aware of it, I think a lot of the times we're just always thinking we're going to fail and we're preparing ourselves for the failure, but 
to think about like, oh, prepare yourself for that success. Because if you're not, then you're going to be, you know, like one of these like people that are an overnight success and they don't know how to harness that control and that ability to really live in that and enjoy it and revel in it and, and, and keep it going. There's only a few people I think that really understand that dynamic, you know, so which is very complex. It's a very complex social thing that it takes no, a I lot can. of time. And you, and if you're just going at it willy nilly without like anybody to guide you, you're just, you're going to fly of like fly all over the place, you know, like <laughs> you know, there's yeah. nothing going to navigate you, but your own emotions and, and hopefully your spouse and people that you love very close to you will give you the proper opinions and outlook on things. But even then it's very confusing, you know, and especially now with how interconnected we are and how many people have their opinions of who you are and what you do and all these things. It's just like, it's ridiculous, you know, it's just all over the place. No, so. I, mean, <laughs> our, I, can, I can relate to that. I mean, like, I think, you know, my situation with my wife is almost exactly the same, you know, oh, she, awesome. well, she comes from music business. So it's like, she, you know, she got out of school and moved to LA and worked for Epitaph records. And like, so she's, she's dealt with artists and dealt with, um, you know, admin and management and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, she, so she understood it. It's funny because when we first got married, we've been uh, married now for eight years. It's like, you know, well, it's about uh, the same time as my wife and I, it's, cool. it's hilarious to me because, you know, she was the one that was basically like, you know, you're making a lot of this music, you know, do you, do you do anything with that? I was like, not really <laughs> just kind of, <laughs> just kind of screwing around. And, and she was the one that was kind of like, you should, you know, monetize that baby yeah monetize exactly and Mm -hmm. i was like and i remember at the time i was just kind of yeah okay whatever and i feel like the first year that we did it i think maybe i you know i maybe made like seven (laughs) hundred dollars sure sure and it was like i remember having this great feeling of like oh you know i'm gonna go buy a synthesizer (laughs) yeah (laughs) anthony says if if his music buys him a cup of coffee every day that's all he cares about exactly that's a humble thing the thing you know i well i think that's it you know like at the at the end of the day you're like I don't really pay attention to that stuff. You know, I, mm. we, we, we do it collectively. Like I do the work and she kind of keeps up with a lot of that stuff, but it's like, you know, everything else, I don't stress about that, you know, cause I'm like, it'll, it'll be okay. You know? And, and it's the same deal. Like I, I, um, it's not really necessarily the cup of coffee, but at the end of the day, I'm like, did I make music today? Did I learn things? Did I, you know, work with people? Did I try to collaborate? Did I try to be helpful? You know, Mm. was I not a dick (laughs) to people? You know, that's kind of, that's kind of my criteria. You know, if I can, if I can hit all of those bullet points, I'm happy. That's good. That's a good day then. I I agree. That's a good way to look at it too. It's a humble approach too. Sure. This has been awesome. I'm really loving our conversation. It's supernatural. We've never talked before outside of email. So this has been really great. Um, I'm looking forward to eventually making something good enough to attract your attention and maybe do some collaboration. That'd be a lot of fun down the road, hopefully, um, eventually. But, um, no, it's been really amazing. Thank you for coming on and for dealing with my hectic schedule and being, uh, you know, consider that. I appreciate it. No, man, I was really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Um, Anthony said you, yeah. you guys talked today and he was like, he's, he said, he's like, he texted me. He's like, I love that we have such a great network of friends. I'm like, it's so badass. It's really is. It's really cool. So, <laughs> it, so the funny thing about just real quick, the funny thing about Anthony reaching out today of all days is that it's like he, the things that he was reaching out to me about, like I've been talking about here recently with people. So it was like, and it was, it was funny cause I was just literally having a conversation about him 
Oh, nice. <laughs> and I was doing, and I was doing your podcast and then like out of the blue, I'm sitting at my desk and I see this little email alert and it's like real pilot priest. And I was like, speak, speak of the devil. Speak of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. His, his ears are burning. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I haven't talked to him in a minute, so it's been good to kind of catch up. So I'm, I'm awesome. pumped to see, see where all that goes. Yeah, man. And yeah, that's, it's ironic too. I, I, I didn't tell him that we're doing this. I was going to surprise him to send him a link when it was out, but no, it's definitely cool. And it's cool to have the conduit, you know, to have good friends sharing things with one another and sure. like, you know, building yeah. that relationship is really key. It's really amazing too, just to hear your overall film knowledge and love of film and stuff. I mean, it's obvious you have a passion for it and then you have a very ripe career with this, you know, you just keep no, going I mean, I, it's building. I, stuff. Um, I pursued, I thought very much that I was going to go to film school. I love film and I, um, I basically head faked and went into the less lofty uh, music business. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, maybe. Yeah, yeah. slightly. <laughs> <laughs> just a hair. But, yeah. Uh, awesome, man. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Like, just like maybe for something for up and coming or any common questions that you get that you want to just be like, here's a blanket comment for that. And there you go. And you can send them a link. No, to but same. I will. No, but I will say that um, one of the things that I love about um, just being able to do this kind of thing or interact with people. Like people send me messages on Facebook or Twitter or whatever all the time. And I'm pretty easy to, to find. And, um, I always respond to everybody. I always make a point that like, cause the thing is like, I remember being in that place. I yeah, remember it's the same, it's, it's the old adage of like, if you have a question, raise your hand cause yeah. four other people have the question. And the thing is like, you know, so many times I get messages from kids and I'm like, you know, or people, whoever, you know, and, um, I'm like, man, I was there. I know yeah. what that was like. I don't think I had the, the, I don't think I really had the, uh, the gall to be like, I'm going to email that guy or I'm going to, you know, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> I'm going to do that Spice because I'm like, oh, he doesn't, have, he doesn't have time for me, you know, or he doesn't care about my, my questions. And it's like, so these so podcasts to, work well, I think, because a lot of people are silent. They, uh, they're fans of this kind of stuff and they don't have to email you to get this kind of substance out of you, you know? So maybe it kind of helps. I always, I always, I mean, it's pretty rare. So if there's somebody out there that I didn't respond to, I'm sorry, email me again. But like, mm, spam you folder. know, I, I always try to uh, respond to everybody. And if you send me stuff, I always try to listen to it and, oh, that's nice and just give an honest, you know, cause it's, you know, it's, having being able to be creative is like the greatest gift in my yeah. mind so i'm like you know, I, who am i to like be like yeah this really sucks <laughs> like, i'm always like i always try to be constructive and 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 help people so damn well you're a freaking great soul man keep that up people will love that and i think that'll just be an ongoing great thing for you in life in general so yeah man awesome it's been an amazing conversation i really appreciate it um, wishing you the best and there you go peeps you can you guys can get a get a hold of matt and um, send him some love if you enjoyed this conversation or whatever you know if you have a question or if you have some kind of desire or advice or something like that um feel free to i guess that's you're opening the door so you said it yeah. so you're it's like oh crap <laughs> And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank yous to Matt for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectedpodcast.com slash 148, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Go out there and be powerful, be prolific. Have an amazing day, everybody. Bye.